You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.church. Well, we're continuing the series that I started last week, a series called Joy to the World. And last Sunday was all about your biblical promise of experiencing joy. That when you start to follow Jesus, you are promised a whole bunch of different things in Scripture, but one of the things that you're promised is that He will give you this deep and abiding joy, something that will never leave no matter your circumstances. It doesn't promise that life is going to be perfect or that magically all of your struggles will just go away. It just means that the Lord's presence and His joy will abide with you from that day forward. There's even a famous Christmas song, or not Christmas song, there's a a famous children's song that speaks about this joy that's down, 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 down in our hearts. I'm hoping by the murmurs and laughter that some of you know it because we're about to sing it together and I'm going to really, I'm going to really need your participation. If you don't know it, you can catch on pretty quick. It's pretty simple. It goes like this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. Down in my heart, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Listen, y'all didn't know it, but you were on the worship team. You were, that was officially your tryout. And also, and also, I've never felt so insecure in front of a group of people in my entire life. Is this how you feel every time you sing that? Like, this is... This is a new sensation that I have. It's like my whole inner world right now. It just feels like I can, we have different gifts. We have different gifts, okay? I don't get nervous when I speak, but I will never uh, sing in front of people again. Thanks, man. Thanks. Um, Here's the thing. The tables are about to be flipped on you pretty quickly here. That was fun. Remember how fun that was? Today... We're going to talk about whether or not you believe any of the words you just sang. We're going to talk about whether or not you actually believe that the joy of the Lord can be so deep down in your soul, so deep down in your heart that no pain, no circumstances, no amount of trials or challenges can rob you of that joy. That it's down in your heart and it's there to stay. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ died so that you could experience heavenly joy? That no matter what's going on in your life, every temporary setback is only temporary. What do you do as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, when when you know that there are promises littered throughout Scripture and the promises are for you to experience the joy of the Lord, but your life experience is this soul-crushing heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak? How do joy and how does joy and grief coexist in the heart of a believer? What would life look like? And what would your life look like? What would, what would our church family look like? If you could just imagine a, a, a Christian's life or imagine a Christian church that could sit with people in their moments of in, 
incredible joy and they could celebrate those moments of almost this inexpressible joy and at the same time they weren't intimidated or afraid or fearful to experience moments of deep grief and mourning. Imagine a community that could invite all of those emotions into the same room. So if you've lived for any length of time at all, you recognize that this side of heaven, we will have moments of inexpressible joy, but we will also have moments of this heartbreaking pain that I talked about. And we, we need to learn what it means to follow Jesus with both of those things existing in our heart and in our life. We need to learn what it means to be a church that invites people in and the full expression of their emotions and experiences in life. I want to recommend a second book to you about joy. I recommended one last week about theology and neurology, how joy actually impacts your brain. And this week, I, I have another book I want to recommend to you. It's by Angela Gurel. It's called The Gravity of Joy. It's an amazing book. I want to recommend it to you. I put a link to it in my sermon notes at votrweekly.org. And it's a fantastic book, particularly around this idea of the tension of joy and grief, how these coexist in the believer's heart. And a little bonus is that she's a vineyard person. She goes to a vineyard church. Natalie and I are friends with her pastor. I've never met Angela myself, but I know her pastor. And, and uh, they, they took their whole church through this book as well. It's a fantastic book. Forewarning, I cried numerous times reading the book. And Natalie cried numerous times reading the book. I would imagine that you'll be crying or fighting back tears if you read the book. But she does a great job, again, talking about the tension of grief and joy. One quick quote for you, she wrote, interestingly, grief and joy are similar in their inexpressibility. I describe grief and I think, no, it's worse than that. I describe joy and understand it's far more marvelous. It's as if the moment I articulate a definition of grief or joy, I diminish them. There's this reality of joy and grief. It's incredibly hard to explain, but we all know it when we feel it. And the Bible has a lot to say about how we can follow God in the midst of joy and grief, what a Christian life can look like as we navigate seasons of this incredible joy and heartbreaking pain. Jesus himself went through moments of joy, but also grief. His disciples did the same. And I'm so grateful that God is not silent on how to navigate this tension. The Bible is not silent on how to navigate joy and grief. Last week we were in John chapter 15. Now we're moving forward just one chapter to John 16. And as a quick reminder, these are some of the last teachings of Jesus Christ. As he gathers his disciples together, he's got a few last key teachings. And in this passage, at least the one we're going to read this morning, Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection, the pain and the joy that is to come. And if you've never decided to follow Jesus, then I want you to know that this passage is going to invite you to consider a life with God. It's going to invite you to, to, uh, to have a relationship with Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you've never made that decision, to consider that today. Because you don't have to go through suffering. You don't have to go through moments of grief alone. I've tried life without God for a large time of my life, and it doesn't work very well. 
But the promise of Jesus is that in the midst of suffering, he can still give you joy. And if you've never started that relationship with Jesus and you'd like to do that today, at the end of our service, we always give people an opportunity to respond to the gospel for the very first time, to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, and to begin experiencing that partnership from our Savior. So let's start by reading John 16, starting in verse 16 together. In a little while, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, in a little while, you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I am going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. His disciples were kind of helpless at numerous times as they followed Jesus. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so he said, Are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, In a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. No one can rob you of that joy. The darkest day in human history was when Christ was nailed to the cross, but the greatest day in human history was when Christ rose from the grave, promising us that same resurrection life. We all have days. We all have days when we live in the tension of abundant joy and oppressive pain, and Jesus was no different. Someday in heaven, it will be only joy all of the time. But this side of heaven, we live in the in-between where we experience both joy and grief. And I, I know many of you have, have heard parts of, of my story, but I am no stranger to grief. I've experienced a lot of pain in my life. I experienced it from childhood into adulthood. I watched my parents struggle in their marriage and eventually get divorced. When Natalie and I first got married, we lost our first child. But as I reflect on my life and I think about the journey that I've had with Jesus, I think that probably the hardest time in my life was a stretch of about 30 days between March and April within the first year of our family moving to Fort Collins. And we didn't have any family here. This was about six years ago. All of our friendships were brand new. We kind of moved here almost sight unseen. And I was new to the church, and people were leaving the church because I wasn't the pastor maybe they thought that I was going to be. But it's usually not the organizational stuff that really gets you. You can kind of deal with some hardship in organizational leadership. That's what you have to do as a leader. The things that are the hardest are the things that are personal and relational, the ones that impact your family. Around this time, in the midst of everything changing in our lives, I mean, everything was new. My son got a bruise 
And this isn't strange. Our son grew up getting bruises all of the time. He got bruises so big that we would rush him to the hospital and we have him x-ray his body, wondering if he had broken a bone or if something was wrong. But this bruise was different. Just a small little bruise started right here around his wrist, looked like a little golf ball, but then it started to grow and kind of take over his whole forearm. Turned black and blue, the pain was excruciating, and then it started to get past his elbow and up to his shoulder. The, swollen, uh, the, the swelling was so bad, he was having a hard time being able to even move his arm. He couldn't sleep at night. We tried everything. Of course we did. We prayed, we gave medicine, we iced, we we, we looked at, up everything on WebMD, which is a horrible little rabbit trail to go down. We looked for everything. Finally, we realized, I mean, the kid's not even sleeping, and this thing is growing like crazy. Something Like, we have to take him in. So we go into the hospital, and of course, they were shocked at the size of his arm. They drew as much blood as he could handle. They shipped it to a hematologist down at Children's Hospital in Denver, and within a few hours, they they gave us a call. And they told us to get to Denver as quickly as possible. I grew up in a doctor's home. I know that good news can just be shared over the phone. But the news that requires you to drive immediately to Children's Hospital is, is not good news. It's not good news. When we got there, there was a room filled with doctors, five doctors, a whole bunch of nurses. And they diagnosed Kingston, our oldest, with severe hemophilia, which basically means if he starts bleeding, he won't stop. And this internal bruise was actually a blood vessel that couldn't clot. And if we didn't get on some really strict medicine and do a lot of preventative care and really have some serious life changes, that things were going to get really interesting. It was a freak diagnosis. It was like a spontaneous genetic mutation. And it was on a continuum of severity, one of the worst cases they had seen. And if you've ever been in a room with that many doctors sharing that much information with you in a short period of time, you know it could be completely overwhelming. I mean, the the information that comes at you in waves, it saturates you pretty quickly. And eventually, I reached my saturation point, and I just got up and walked out. I started walking up and down the hallways, just trying to process and catch up with all the information that had just been shared with me. And I found myself in a hallway staring at a whole bunch of posters that was all about life with hemophilia, the do's and don'ts, and kind of how to navigate all of the challenges. And then off to the right, they had a a big poster with all the different sports that you could play. And they were color-coded, kind of like a stoplight. Red for never play these, yellow for maybe proceed with caution, and then a handful of green sports. And I remember looking at the list and thinking to myself, I've never played a green light sport in my life. Never in my life. I'm a red light sport kind of guy. I wasn't a green light sport. And this sweet little nurse, probably because I just walked up out of the room and they were wondering where I was at, she finally found me 
in the hallway, and she was trying to be so sweet and so nice, and she goes, see, look at all the sports. Look at all the sports. And I just snapped at her. I mean, like, no filter. I was overwhelmed, and I snapped at her, and I said, those aren't even sports. <laughs> this is, by the way, why we love golf so much. We have, like, picked up, Greek golf is a green light sport. And it's turned into a family affair. I mean, Natalie plays, the girls play. But truthfully, Kingston and I are the ones who are totally obsessed. Totally obsessed. And what I've come to realize is that like, I played football in high school, middle school, high school, and a little in college. I, I realized pretty quickly golf is actually harder than football. Football is pretty easy. You run really fast and you hit people really hard. Golf, on the other hand, is a game of perfection <laughs> And we are not very perfect. So it's a much more challenging sport. But diagnosis weekend, uh, it was really actually only the beginning of this 30-day stretch. Because it was about to get a lot worse. A few weeks into navigating Kingston's diagnosis, we're going to nursing classes, we're figuring out how to put a tourniquet on a five-year-old boy and find a vein and inject the most expensive medicine I've ever seen in my life, I get a call from my mom. And there's sounds that you remember. There's sounds that like don't leave your brain very easily. And the sound of my mom wailing on the other side of the phone is a sound that I don't think I'll soon forget. The police had just left her apartment informing her that they had just found my older brother, Jason, who's two years older than me, dead in his apartment by himself. Netflix was still on in the background, and there were just alcohol bottles just on the floor around his chair. When you grow up in a home where someone struggles with addiction, you sometimes have imaginations of the police knocking on your door, but you hope it's never actually your door. You hope it never comes true, and his addiction finally caught up with him, and and he died alone. And it's one of the reasons why we host recovery groups in this room on Monday nights every week. You think about diagnosis weekend and how horrible it was, and you think about the funeral for a, for a young man shortly after that. That was horrible too. And there are moments where you can still feel the pain. This side of heaven isn't always the most fun experience. This side of heaven, we do have moments of incredible joy, but we also have moments of incredible heartache. And I lived with Jesus, or without Jesus, for a large portion of my life. I'm so thankful that at this time in my life, I had a relationship with Jesus. I can't imagine going through that 30-day stretch without a personal connection to the God who loves me. I'm so thankful that I had a church community, this church community, to help me navigate the pain. 
and lean on the promises of God to get to the other side of that pain. But navigating those times is incredibly difficult. You need a strong personal faith and you need a strong church family to come alongside of you. And what I want to do for the remaining time together, I just want to talk about a few of the promises that we've been given about how to navigate these seasons. Uh, Some of the ways that God is encouraging us to follow him in the midst of this tension where you find your, your heart going in one direction or the other, this space of incredible joy and incredible grief. The Bible talks about this in a lot of different ways, but there's a few different things that I want to share this morning. The first one is that it's important to know that the coexistence of joy and grief, it requires endurance. It requires endurance in your faith. If you want to hold on to your faith and maybe even grow in your faith through times of challenges and trials and pain, it is going to require a spiritual endurance, one that you can begin building today with the Lord. I love in this passage how Jesus used the word picture of a pregnant mother to explain the kind of journey that we all go on when we're in moments of grief with joy on the other side. I love that he used the word picture of a pregnant mother because if you've ever been around a pregnant mom, you know there is real strength in a pregnant mom. There is real power in a pregnant mother. Mom strength is a real thing. In my house, I basically have been relegated to opening pickle jars, and that's it. But my wife has real endurance and real strength and real power. Just last week, we had a Christmas event in this room for the women in the church, a beautiful Christmas event, and I was hanging out in the kids' wing with all the little kiddos. And I'll never forget, man, there was a mom who walked in, you know, with a, with a tote of food and two winter coats and a diaper bag and a white bag and a car seat. And she came in and I said, I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't make it the whole time. I couldn't make it the whole time. And she just bends down, picks the toddler up, bends down, picks the three-year-old up with all the stuff in her arms and just walks out to her car like nothing is wrong. And I remember feeling so much shame because just 30 minutes earlier, I tried holding both those kids at the same time and I didn't even last a minute in that room. I was exhausted. There's real power. There's real power. Something happens to mothers. Something happens that we all know about it enough that Jesus uses it as the word picture for the pinnacle of someone who's going through moments of pain with joy waiting on the other side. Anguish is real. The struggle is real. And we can't minimize the pain. We can't minimize the struggle. But the joy on the other side of the pain is filled with abundant life. The joy on the other side is transformational. Just yesterday, I was talking with my son about this message and was halfway getting permission to share it and halfway telling him what I was going to share and We met somewhere in the middle, and he goes, Dad, you know the thing about joy and grief is that you often don't feel the joy in the moment. You need some time. You need some time to get through the journey, and then after there's enough time, you can look back and you can still begin to experience the joy. My son's 11. I I think he's got a future in preaching if that's how he's... (laughs) We'll see. 
but it does take time. Sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months, sometimes it's years. But no matter the length of time, I can promise you, you want Jesus at your side as you go through that time. You want his spirit washing over you. You want his presence surrounding you. It takes endurance to see joy again. And it's not just internal endurance, by the way. It takes an endurance of community. It takes community. It's internal strength, but it's also an interconnected strength. When our faith is so personal, no one can make a decision for you to follow Christ except you. But once you make that personal decision, you're thrown into this beautiful body of Christ where we can lean on one another and connect our lives with each other and borrow strength in moments of trials and pain for one another. Romans 12 teaches us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. If you do the opposite, it gets really weird. It gets really weird. If you meet someone's joy with mourning, it gets really depressing. If you meet someone's mourning with joy, it gets maddening. When my brother died, I didn't need someone to tell me about their promotion or about how awesome life was going for them. I need someone to just let me cry. I need someone who could just share space with me and not ask me a thousand questions. And just, let, just be there with me. Because sometimes I'm zoning out and sometimes I'm really clear with my thoughts. And I didn't always know how I was going to show up. We've got to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. And here's the thing. It takes a really strong and really mature believer to do both of those things. It takes real love and real strength to sit with someone in their grief and not either walk away or try to fix it, but to just to be with them. It takes a deep spiritual maturity to bear witness to someone's pain. Every year at the Vineyard, we host a special service to bear witness. It's called Blue Christmas, and it happens every year here because we want to be a church that can rejoice on Christmas Eve, but also mourn and grieve together. All the information for Blue Christmas is on the slide. You can go to votrweekly.org to figure out how to RSVP for child care. But I just want to take a moment to invite the entire church to this event. And maybe you're not very cheery right now. Maybe you don't have a lot to rejoice about or to celebrate. This year has been hard. Listen, this service is for you. It will give you a sacred space to mourn and to grieve in the presence of God. And maybe you look at that slide and you think, you know, I don't personally need that service. But I can promise you the church needs your presence. You can bring someone who is in pain and be with them. Bear witness to what they're going through. You can come in your own strength, and you can be part of the body of Christ, mourning with those who are mourning. See, our culture, we, we tend to avoid things like this because we've believed the lie that somehow if we're adjacent to sadness, it will impact our joy. That if we just get proximate or if we just get close to grief, that somehow it will rob us of all of the joy. And that's a lie. That's not true. Joy is way more, has way more grit than that. Remember, it's a joy that's down in your heart, down to stay. If you get close to someone who's grieving, it doesn't somehow suck you out of all of your joy and it's just magically gone. Your joy abides, it remains. But your presence can minister as you mourn with those who are mourning. Again, this this might be a hard word for some of you to hear, but I think it's worth saying it. 
It's not a sign of spiritual maturity to avoid hard things. It's a sign of spiritual maturity to bear witness to other people's pain. I mean, it takes real love to mourn with those who are mourning. So I want to encourage you to consider coming to Blue Christmas, this, this idea of joy and grief. It takes endurance. It takes internal strength. It takes an interconnected strength. But I also want you to know that the coexistence of joy and grief, it requires hope. It requires hope. The Bible has been teaching for thousands of years For thousands of years, the Bible has been teaching that no matter what is going on in your life or in the world around you, you can experience joy because our hope is placed in an eternal promise and an eternal Savior who is making all things new. He's making all things new. Someday it will be only joy. Someday it will be only joy. The promise of Christ is that someday he'll wipe every tear and heal every disease, that all of death will be swallowed up. All of darkness will be eradicated because it will be the light of Christ, our hope, set before us. And without this hope, grief will slowly turn into despair. And despair will rob you of your joy. But hope will keep it alive. A Christ-centered hope. It's your powerful antidote to the grief and despair in your life. A few months after our son was diagnosed, Natalie and I were down for one of those nursing classes and we had to check in on our son. And the doctors and nurses pulled us aside. They looked us in the eye. I don't think we'll forget this moment. We talk about it all the time. They pulled us aside and they and they... They even brought a social worker because I'm not sure they actually believed our answer, but they said, how are you guys actually doing? How are you navigating? Like, how are you doing so well? They brought a social worker to ask us and it felt mildly like an interrogation (laughs) to make sure that we were doing as well as we were. See, they're not used to families and patients doing as well as we were navigating all of the struggles and the pain, navigating all of the medicines and problems of the diagnosis. Thankfully, this time I was a lot more secure in my own heart and I didn't snap at the nurse. With love, we knew it was an opportunity to testify to God's goodness. So we told them, look, there's, there's one clear reason why we're navigating this pain. It's our hope in Jesus Christ. And so we told them about our prayer life. We told them about our faith community. We told them about the promises of God. And we told them that with Jesus, we knew that we were going to navigate these things. And we also knew that we were part of a bigger story that we didn't understand yet. But that somehow, some way, as we lived for Christ, he was going to be in the process of redeeming all of these things. And he was going to be writing a different kind of story, not one that we anticipated, but one that was going to have his craftsmanship anyway. And it wasn't always joyful. Joy didn't happen immediately, but we never lost the hope. We always knew that God was working it out for the good. Hope is simply a necessary ingredient as we navigate the tension of joy and grief. I want to read one more passage for you. It's been one of my favorites in the last season of my life. It's from Psalm 126. 
Look at the screen behind me. It says, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Those who plant in tears will harvest with joy. Have you ever planted in tears? Have you ever planted tears in the soil of your heart? The soil of your family and community and city and beyond? How many tears have you planted? The promise, the promise is that either this side of heaven or for eternity, you will harvest with shouts of joy. And I know this to be true because I know Jesus. I know this to be true because I see the hope ahead of me. And I know this because Jesus has already shown us the way. He went to the cross for you and for me. He embraced the pain on the cross because there was a greater purpose at hand. Because of the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. He took the suffering of the world. He took on the shame of our own sin. He experienced complete separation from God so that in that moment of resurrection, we could be united to him forever. So that all things could be made new. All things could be made right. And so that we could join him in the transformation of all things. Jesus Christ modeled the coexistence and the tension of joy and grief when he hung on the cross for you and for me. And now as we place our trust in him, we can hope for a better day. We can hope for a better experience and we can hope for joy of the Lord to be our strength, that it'll be placed in our heart and no matter the circumstances, somehow, some way, with enough time in our community, that joy will remain. And joy will be our promise. But it takes endurance, both individually and collectively. And it takes placing your hope in Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray.